Hey folks, we had a great time talking about uh, Mickey Spillane's Kiss Me Deadly, and we'll get to that, but we're going to do our usual other talk first, so if you want to move right to the movie talk, go to about minute 35, 35 and a half. Hope you enjoy. Take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies. Put them in a room and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. All right. Well, hello, man. Let's see. So, here's the thing. I'm a, I'm a crackhead, right? So that's why I, I, I mostly watch Hulu. These days, I'm usually, usually kind of between. You've immediately lost me. I step back. I don't do Netflix. I do Hulu. But what's what's the crackhead? What do you mean? Well, it's it's, it's the shittier of the two options. Let's be honest. Oh, got it. Okay, it's you not know. the cocaine of options. You do Hulu. Yeah, got basically. it. So right. I'm doing the Hulu. Hulu comes along. Basically, the, the, one of the huge differences is you have to be extra not to get ads, which is now that I'm thinking about it, that's even more upsetting now that I'm thinking about it now. But well, what do you do? Do you do? You, do you... I just watch the ads, or or you know, Twitter, or practice my magic trick while the ad is going on, or something like that. Or... Got it. <clears throat> so, anyways, uh, there's this persistence of ads for like online universities. And they're like, I, you know, it's it's this weird thing. Like the university is like, uh, it's like education that's right for me. Uh-huh. I need a place that believes in me as much as I believe in myself. Mm-hmm. It's this weird fucking approach. Why is Ed- education? I've never yep. heard of this before. No, what do you mean? Break that down a little bit. So I want to break. That. So well, they say supposedly, but what do you mean? Uh, it's the that it's right for you or that it's it's marketing itself towards students is something it seems to be marketing itself specifically towards like incredibly self-indulgent people mm-hmm. not just like like for a long time there were ads about like online university and they they push the convenience factor for it because of course it is people who are going to go into who are working full time yep. can't mm-hmm. go to school full time so blah blah they get to do this in their in their in between time fine yep. Yep. that makes sense to me that's the one thing about online universities that does make sense to me but this is all about like I, I don't know it's like the snowflake has gotten that much larger and sort of inserted itself into this thing we're talking about like I need a place that believes in me the way I believe in myself like how is that even possible like an institution A doesn't believe in you, like in any realistic sense of the word. And second, why would that be an important factor in an education? Uh, that's interesting. Well, okay, so there's a couple of things. So one is, I think you do agree with the part that's like, okay, um, there's a lot of talent, let's say, or resources in terms of human <clears throat> resources, or that's a, a department, I guess, yeah, but okay. like the resources of a human being sure. that are untapped. Um, because people, di- I mean, I often think about this in terms when, when I, when I see like, a, a a behind the, whatever the Hollywood story, right? Somebody who was like, you know, Steve McQueen, um, laid carpeting or did like linoleum tiling. Right. right? And it's like, was a carpenter. and like, and like, what if just they had, they'd gone like, fuck it, I'm not going to do this. And it's like, well, how many Steve McQueens or Harrison Fords are out there? Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, you know, if you think of education, it's the same way. It's like. You know, so we agree about that, right? If if you're working like a full time job and the only time you can go to school is at night or maybe online, and so it's like, hey, there could be these sort of untapped people out there who just sure. can't do it, and like that's good for us, not just them. Right? Maybe it's good for society as a whole to have yep. like that that <clears throat> option open to people, so at some point they can move out of. Like I guess when I, well, it's kind of weird, but the skilled trades, I guess, and into yeah. the uh, into the more rare air. Well, maybe even to be into the skilled trades because a lot of colleges offer that too. But you're not going to get that if you're having to work at the mill 
40 or 50 hours a week, right? right? right. You know, and it's like, you know, we want to push the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, like Donald Ray Pollock is this great, um, and, and who's the guy, Polachek, who, it's not Polachek, but who wrote like Fight Club? I can never say it. But it's like in literature, there are all these, I mean, as writers, all these guys who, um, you know, well, and he, he would write, you know, as an auto mechanic, he would write secretly upside down underneath his car. Right. Or, or like Donald Ray Pollock would just sort of stay up eight hours after a 10 hour shift at the mill. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, those are great stories, but they involve a lot of things. For instance, notice all those people are single. Yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah. So so we're agreeing on the part where it's like, yeah, let's make school or it's good that schools make themselves more available. But it sounds here's where I'm sort of I'm just trying to crack open the nut you've presented. Right. So it's like you're saying, (laughs) let me crack it open, baby. Um, So you're saying it's almost as if you object to and I'm almost fine with this object to like the philosophical like tone of it right or, yeah no or you're asking yeah, what it is what, that, i guess that is kind of what i'm doing like where you know where are we where are we headed where is this headed it's gotten past like the utility yep. it's like it's it's kind of a funny thing when you think about it because in a sense we sort of made uh, uh education a mercantile thing like i would respect somebody, oh yeah I would, like, I would respect somebody for going to an online college just because they wanted to learn new shit i think that that would be a great I respect the hell out of that too, but no, nobody wants that anymore. Well, no, of course not. And in fact, it's got to go towards your career, bloody well. Even though statistically, it's almost nobody goes and does what they study in college. Well, that's changed too because now all colleges require that you announce what you're doing immediately, which is I I don't really like it, but it's not brand new to like America's not the. I mean, England's been doing that forever. Okay, right? I mean, they have that class system, but 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 what I'm getting at is like, (coughs) excuse me. Um, is like you said, it kind of bugs you that the catchphrase is, is that an institution or like the college believes in the individual as much as the individual believes in themselves. Right. But I would argue actually that the potential place of the college is to believe in the student more than the student believes in themselves. I would actually go the other way because I think you, I suspect, and certainly I have had experiences where because of a lack of self-esteem, mm-hmm. some like philosophy, I know a philosophy professor like tracked me down in a parking lot one time and said, hey, you're a really good writer. And I thought he was mocking me at first. Oh, really? I was so like, oh, uh-huh, you know, yeah. um, but um, so it really did take um, the persistence. Now, whatever you want to call that, I suppose you could call that coddling. Um, but it doesn't feel like the kind of coddling that you and I usually object to. Well, you know, coddling, yeah, exactly. Because because this isn't coddling necessarily so much as it's nurturing uh, a perceived talent. So what's the difference? Because because you know you're saying well, looks, there's no telling if this person has any kind of talent in need of of being sort of. Oh, so you're saying it's it's almost like there's this blank check being being yeah, um, um, like, promised by the university, and it's a, an emotional blank check. Essentially, yeah, absolutely. Well, that is a problem that a lot of people have sort of talked about with with education in general, but especially I suppose higher education because we we owe you know all the way through high school we owe something we owe everyone the same sort of basic opportunity. Well, couldn't we talk about education in high school forever? Yeah, well, that's another that's, it's yeah, another sort of problem, topic, right? Yeah. But but yeah, one of the problems is that is is kids come out of high school oftentimes unprepared and not 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 even really the teacher's fault. It's no. it's a confluence of all these fucking things that are happening right. in at least in American culture. Um, and they go in and then they're told like you have all these abilities and it's like maybe mm-hmm. actually maybe, maybe you have all these abilities. It's maybe hard to tell since no one's prepped you. Fucking, you know one of those guys holding 
a tax sign yeah. on the corner for six million dollars a year. Maybe that's going to be as good as it gets for them. Okay. I'm going to pod you up a little bit because you're. And that's you're, uh, okay. All right, is it better? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Okay, I just want to yeah. know if I should adjust <laughs> your level. If that's it, I mean, that's fine. You know, yeah. although you'd, you'd want other, you'd want. I think, I think we're all, I think we're caught on this weird thing of wanting. I guess everybody to have the opportunity to be a millionaire in this country. Yeah. And statistically, it's not a possibility, right? Well, it's not only to be a millionaire. It's sort of like um, it, it, the problem is, is what you referenced before, is that it, it, it merges, it dovetails with marketing, yeah, right? So yeah, it's yeah. like we start thinking of students as customers, yeah. and the customer is always right. Yeah, right, right. right? Which and is, God damn it, we need, we need to eject that fucking thought out of our heads. You mean that, that in general the customer is always right? Yeah, you, yeah. It's not that just isn't always true. It just isn't, and it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be because then it becomes an abusive work environment. But I, this now this we're talking. I, I'm talking from like the last five years of working in customer service. Yeah, basically, I got to say, I, this, from what I can see, this this attitude is just it's yeah, it's it's pernicious. Well, what it does is it creates a weird sort of class system because, well, it creates a lot of things. First of all, it creates a bad class system because the person who's going to be right more often is the person who has more money. Right. But then the second thing that happens is this. Instead of sort of seeing the unfairness of that and dealing with that, right? Mm -hmm. The second thing that happens is we see that it's unfair. Mm -hmm. And so instead of saying, well, let's address this idea that someone who has money is more right than someone who doesn't. What we do is we say, let's now create a situation where even those who don't have money are perceived as people who have money. Meaning, it used to be you didn't have access to college. Right. Right? right? Absolutely. I don't just mean money, by the way. I mean, like, your resources. You didn't have access. So right. instead of saying, like, hey, it shouldn't matter whether you have resources or not that you have access to education, which mm-hmm. would be an, an awesome move, what we say is, let's just start treating poor people as if they were rich people and always right. Right. Uh, yeah, well, absolutely. I, I, I guess it kind of dovetails because then it becomes like the Starbuckization, right? <laughs> where where not, only, not only is the customer right, but their every need is then catered to specifically. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. And, it's not, and, 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 and need becomes, and, and want becomes conflu- conflated with need in this situation. And that uh, that dovetails nicely back to what I'm talking about. There's like, I need a university that believes in me. <laughs> you really don't need that. Well, the other thing that is... Would be, uh, maybe that would be an ideal situation. Yeah. You don't need that. You, your motivation to do this for yourself in your life should be sufficient to, to make you go do the fuck. And again, it's like, I think it comes from, I, I'm trying to sort of look at all these things um, generously. Like it comes from a good place and the good place is seeing people who are left out in the dark. Absolutely. And so it's like, yeah, no one supported you and it's unfair that we have people who are unsupported and we have people who are massively supported by financially, emotionally, intellectually, by this, by family or whatever. Right. That's unfair and it, and it, it possibly leads to the untapped talent on the table, all that sort of stuff. So instead of fixing it in any sort of real way, we just go like, let's just erase the system of competition or let's, and it's like, that doesn't, yeah. that doesn't help anyone yeah. at all is helped by that situation. I wonder if we're like drowning. I wonder if we're drowning in our own good intentions. Well, all Socially, the time. Just to speak, just like we're, we're drowning because we have the good intentions, but not the, not the structures necessary to make them happen well that's that's part of the problem and and so it's i also think it it deal it is um it, it sort of dovetails into the way that we um try to get what we want uh-huh. in this culture right so i don't know if you know, notice what's happening in paris right now there's something about the no. french there's something that happens with the french that i just don't understand uh-huh. it's really it happens with me i always think they're right like if i see a, a french <laughs> 
they have accents just there. Well, Americans, first of all, we just love anybody with an accent, right? They're, they're smarter than hell. It's, it's than part hell. of it, but it's like if I see a French guy smoking a cigarette, I never think he's going to get cancer. Like, I just never think of French people getting cancer because it's keeps, like. That's how he keeps his coat so luxurious. Well, they, don't you understand? They walk over there and eat sensibly. You know, like it's somehow I, in my mind. And part of it is the way they protest. They could be breaking windows oh. at French Starbucks and everything else. They yeah. love to protest in oh, Paris. They, they fucking throw Molotovs. But it always, I've been, I saw it one time and it was at a library. There's a protest in front of a library of all things, and 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 they were like, like police were there with like their you know riot gear and everything uh-huh. else. There's something about the, the way when the French want something, they just fucking mobilize into the streets, <laughs> and they talk about it. Like right now, they're talking about something that seems ironic to Americans, and it's really ironic in terms of NPR. Let me put a fucking pin in that, right? But it's like the French are over there and they're they're protesting en masse. They have these yellow jackets. Have you seen this in the news? No. They're called the they're wearing those like road um, construction worker jackets and that's how they identify themselves that's their sort of like roving protesting gang outfit right and they're protesting um taxes on fuel Uh and taxes on sort of energy efficiency so like um who's it um i forget their um this is not Sarkozy, right? Who's the French president? Sorry, Mitterrand. French Let's people. Just go Mitterrand. I don't know. Mitterrand. I don't know the person's name. I, the person's I think it's name. Charles de Gaulle. Charles, Charles de Gaulle. De Gaulle. <laughs> Louis the Fourteenth, sir. That's it. Louis the Fourteenth declare. Don't lose your head. That uh, that um like you know he'll give a hundred dollars like um tax relief on energy efficient windows that cost ten thousand dollars and and wow. you know anyone who um doesn't live in Paris is like like a lot of America dependent on their cars and there's this massive um tax hike in gas and. So you have these people who are coming out and they're having this sort of like really angry protest. But when you talk to them, um, when NBR talks to them, they'll say things like, well, of course, we think we need to do something about the ecology. The problem is the president is approaching it in such a way that it's penalizing poor people who can least afford to. Hold on a second. Let me throw this Molotov cocktail. And it's like they're so they're so nuanced and and interesting uh, and about active what a fucking thought yeah but then you stop them and they can actually have a conversation yeah. about it and they're like hey we have to, they're like hey, you can have these two thoughts at once the planet is fucking dying and we have to do about something about it right. and the and the solution is not necessarily taxing me to death on gas is there something else we can agree on right. and here's my getting out there and it's like really weird that's why i admire the way the french do yeah. it yeah. what i don't admire is nbr <laughs> listens to that conversation like that is intriguing it's almost as the, the people aren't being listened to and part of me is like hold on motherfucker when you do a a piece on the fucking um, West Virginians who are pissed off Mm. about you know about like the coal industry going it's like don't they understand that the planet is dying and it's like wait how come when it's you're like me NPR is like me. Yeah, because you, see, you know why? Because they speak with a West Virginian accent, right? And you see, the sweet French. You see, you see the same message in France, and you're like, yes. What about the people? They they need jobs, you know. And it's like, ah. Uh, but it made me think about like you know the French are such good protesters, um, and oh fuck, we need that so badly here, man. Well, you know who's bad is fucking Peta, man. Oh, Peta man. has launched a new thing, and Talk it's like, me. oh, whenever you see Peta, because look, Tom, I want to be. Peter friendly in a way like I, I like again I admire the, the the vague intention of the people for the ethical treatment of animals yeah okay absolutely I mean it's like as a concept in the name right yeah, and sure. like why can't we and I fucking love dogs and I love cats why you know of I'm just, course I'm extending that love to the other animals on the planet I get it 
And I, <laughs> and I have feelings about even like about eating. Like I'm not a vegan, but I'll, I'll go, I'll trend toward that way. You've been vegan, yeah. And and some of it has to do with like a, I have a, a, a esophageal issue that's sort of boring and right. but painful. I, I personally will never go near veal again the rest of my life. Right, you I know can't do, that's just fucking wrong. And yeah, and I think there are just ways to sort of go about it, like yeah. um, uh, hunting and like you know f- maybe more free range. It's just a, there's there's some sort of mid ground that we can sort of reach. I, I think. haven't seen a fur coat in decades at this point. A Fake first coming back in a weird way, but but yeah, yeah. But it's like it's vintage. Yeah, anyway, vintage fake. I'm fur. almost like yeah. I'm almost like uh, I'm almost like uh, yeah. Anyways, go on. Anyway, so so I mean, I've always so like I saw um, a pita thing the other day, and it was like um, there were like three um, paper mache turkeys, like you know, uh, ready for the the Thanksgiving dinner, mm-hmm. and then a naked dude on his back with his legs like in a, a sort of hug, hugging his shins. And like, we're all the same. The science said, we're all the same. And it's like, we're not all the same. That's a naked dude. And those are turkeys. And if you, if you have, you know, sympathy for sentient life. I thought you were gonna, like, he was fucking the turkeys. And it was- had a th- like a thermometer popped out of it. The red, the red thing popped out of his ass. But, but uh, it's sort of like, this is the problem with PETA. It's like, yeah, I totally understand if you have this like um, deep sympathy for sentient feeling human beings i love peter singer i love his arguments they're they're interesting Mm -hmm. but you just can't do that it just turns people off and so their latest campaign is is that they want to change the language they want to change the words and so it's like they have a whole that's what we're missing they have a whole list of things they insist that you do and no please don't say bring home the bacon you're bringing home the or like beating a dead horse you're petting a horse right it's just this list of insane sort of ways of going about about protesting, and I just think they're kind of crazy. Kinda People crazy. in this country don't know how to do things. Uh, yeah, you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember when I was living in New York? I was I was working down on near Wall Street, and I had to pass Zuccotti Park and then Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, man, that was fucking awesome. Dude. Well, look, I like again, like I I I have some sort of sense that there's there's value in in what they're getting at. But like we don't have any nuanced sense of like how to deal with things, and right. so like it's that it's the same thing. Sorry, I'm I'm tan- going on tangent here, but but like um, I, I you know we all see these things like these social media things on like uh, trophy hunters, right? And I, every time I look at a guy and it's like a giraffe or like a, a rhinoceros, and he's he's sort of kneeling by it with his gun, I'm like, ah, oh, you piece of shit! <laughs> like, what are you doing, right. you asshole? And I've heard about like, oh, they bid on them to go over and hunt them, and it's like not even like a fair like you know it's it's within a certain amount of land. It's not like they're sort tracking them for days from an air balloon. But but then I read this piece, and it was it was really, and it was not by any sort of like conservative man. Magazine. I think it was associated with NPR again. Yeah. I read this piece and it was about how um, people bid on it, but what they're bidding on is an animal that's a problem to the rest of the animals. Yep. It's an older animal that's actually creating serious fucking problems. With the other animals and or the locals. So you like to hunt, you go over there, you yep. hunt, the locals get like the animal, the meat, the, the animal's taken out of that population. And it's like, look, I'm, not, I'm still not sure if I'm for it. Ricky Gervais made this great point like... Um, you know, if if you, I think it was like, um, should abortion be legal? Yes, but if your doctor said, "Can I pay you ten thousand dollars to jerk off while I do it?" Like, no. You know what I mean? Like, it's just wrong somehow. <laughs> the analogy being, <laughs> but the analogy, you know, I, I mean, I think that analogy is pretty clear. But yeah, yeah. but the point is, like, it made me rethink it, and I'm not sure that I've changed. But right. the, but it's like I'm just tired of like we're a bunch of babies. Like, I no. Nah, and it's like nuances 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 takes energy man to work with 
Nuance does. Yeah, but, but, I, but, but I agree with you on the PETA thing. My favorite, my, my favorite PETA protest of all time was the uh, naked girls in cages thing. <laughs> naked girls, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was so counter. No, we talk about it. Well, it's, it's, again, Americans, we just I don't think we know how to protest. I'm going to agree no. with you on that. It's just because that's like I've had that fantasy. Like I hate to say it, but like that was kind of weirdly. It's like you're 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 not saying it. You're eroticizing the situation, not actually. Fixing First of all, you don't hate to boy. say it. Yeah. I'm a boy. I'm sorry. No, no, I know what you're saying. It's sort of like um, um, feminist protests who are like, "We're going to go topless," yeah, and it's like, you "Well, go ahead and do that, girl." Yeah, yeah I mean, it's not even that. Be, like, not even that creepy. On that's on your side too for that. Yeah, I mean, it sort of goes back to I think it's it's what you you brought up to begin with, and it was about education, not protest, but it's the idea that that um, it, it, instead of like I want to fight for compromise, it's like I want to scream for be, something being tailored. Yeah. And it's like, you know, yeah. it's you can't, yeah. it, it's making us, tailored and, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. it's making us bad people because it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, I think a lot of people who are being protested, the smarter ones, right. let's say the ones I even, I disagree with, but they're intelligent would gladly say, let's debate. Yeah. But it's like, you're not interested in debate. Nobody is. You're, you're They're interested. People. Yeah. There's a, there's a, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, I mean, like, like there's a, there's an airline being sued. Um, did you hear about this? Please. The boy named ABCDE. No, please. Wait. There's a kid named ABCDE. And did you get all the rows? <laughs> He's a, t- <laughs> he's all four seats are his. Fuck off. His name is ABCDE okay. and he's from Texas. Okay, and hold on. Let me, I, I can't, I can't, I really can't. Let's just, I need to see. I think you pronounce it Abbasidi or something, but I it's ABCDE. I have to sit with this for a second. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Okay, his name on. is all right. Go on. Yes. God damn it. Okay, his name on. is ABCDE, <laughs> and um, are those the laziest parents in the world? They're what just the, well. Here's why I think they're just sort of looking for something obvious. It's like those parents, by the way, who are who are neo Nazis, fine, but they dress their kid up as Hitler and, and parade him around town, and it's like, <laughs> what? This is all right, and it's like, yeah, fuck yeah. off. So ABCDE's uh, parents bring him to like Delta Airlines or something, and and they're about to board. And the ticket people, um, one of them point like nudged the other ticket person was like, "That's the kid named A B C D E." And so this is the mother's recounting. So the kid's like, "What are they saying, mommy?" And the and the mom's like, "Some people are just very mean." And like the kid has suffered um, <laughs> psychological damage. And so of course, what's going to happen is Delta or United or whoever it is is going to issue an apology to A B C D E's parents. A no grin policy. What does that come out to? I don't know. I mean, it was sort of like mocking. In a way, I guess it was. I don't even think they meant to mock. I mean, I guess you have to mean it to mock. But I, I would be mocking. I would be, in my that situation, I would be mocking, but not the kid. <laughs> the fucking parents. Well, yeah. That call. I mean, look, if you here's the customer's always right thing. I mean, I suppose even if you think something Ooh. is bizarre, if you even if you if you see someone with a a, a green mohawk that you think is clearly wants your attention, right. if you're wearing the fucking the name tag at a fucking business, you probably don't nudge your coworker and point and go that's the guy i mean i get it, it like on that level but beyond that who gives a fuck because it's exactly what you wanted when you named your kid abcde right here's Granted. the here's the go ahead please oh you know i okay so i had a situation i i uh, a customer service situation working at uh, starbucks um this is the only time i got yelled at actually i yep. got screamed at by this woman yep. um there's this uh, i was working the drive-thru on this thing and like everyone was ordering these fucking milkshakes it was crazy to me yeah. Like, I'm like I'm looking at him going. You shouldn't be 
drinking it. In other words, you were talking about like a cafe ole with double pump vanilla whipped cream. Uh, no, with with maximum amounts of caramel. Like it would, it would caramel. Be, caramel. Like I'm not kidding, man. You know, caramel is it's burnt sugar. Yeah, it's exactly what the fuck it is. And so these people are like double. Can I get triple caramel on that? Well, I don't even know what triple caramel looks like. But right. yeah, you can have caramel like drizzled on the inside of the cup and then added to the thing. It's right. fucking bananas. And it's no milkshake with a caramel flavored milkshake covered in caramel. All right, okay. And so these people, and I'm looking at this this person. And there, there's so many times in the day where I was handing this out, I felt like I was part of a like a, I don't know, like a, like a diabetes foot yeah. harvesting program or some fucking <laughs> thing. People, I'm looking at them going, "You should not be doing this. Yeah. Your window doesn't open. Take the forty dollars you just spent on these drinks and fix your fucking window." Wait, so they would come into the drive-through, the windows broken. They open the door. They have to open the door, and they could really just barely reach. They're like these women. Enormous. They, they're they're fucking. <laughs> You know how like women when they get a certain weight they they have I call it the elbow foreskin situation. Uh, you do too. I'm looking at you right now, but it's uh, I don't yeah. Have it no. Yeah, but, yeah. but women sometimes get this, and it just, it just oh, this giant claw comes out for it. Mm-hmm. There was one person, uh, there was one lady who came through, her and I just couldn't look at her. Yeah. Like I just really I couldn't make eye contact because she was just a wreck. Of yeah. A human being, and it was like. And, and 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 I guess that translated or something because I certainly didn't say anything. Right. But she stormed. She 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 then stormed into the actual uh, establishment and like started yelling about yelling about how rude I was to the manager. But what did you say? I'm not I sure. Didn't what, say fucking. It was the look on your face. I was well. It was maybe the fact that I mean I was like here you go. Like I couldn't make eye contact. Uh, I couldn't look at her. She was freaking me out. Yeah. Okay. So it, uh, so but. That's my right. I'm really, I, I didn't insult her directly. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's look, in, in, it, you're right in what way? In polite society, no, probably you shouldn't. But, right. but yeah, it's sort of like, where are you accountable? Not you, but like, where is someone like that accountable for their own sort of like, at what point do you expect people to just not have a response a to, to something that's <laughs> grotesque? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for looking at me, Jim. No problem. I had to look away for a while. You know who got um, you know who got really big for a while is, and this this is something that just came up for us recently. Is I I got my wife um, as a surprise um, Thursday night. Um, she she had a long day. Shut she, up. She had to be done at six. Hold on. I know where this is going. She had to be done at six p.m. at her job, and I got her an early Christmas present, and that is I got her gal pal, and she. Two tickets to, what are you doing? <laughs> Two tickets to Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, I'm doing my fucking, I don't know. Doing my what's her name. Good audience. You just couldn't believe the horrific uh, jelloey dance I just saw. Yeah. <laughs> give me, so, so, give me some scars, bro. I'm so be, the, what's her name? Uh, Stevie Nicks. So, Stevie so Nicks. I got, uh, I got um, the idea was that um, the friend of my wife would say, like, I really need to talk to you. Like, it's something important. They get my wife all worried. Like, can we have dinner? And so they would meet. And then, and then the friend would pull out the tickets. Ah, bitch, we're going to Fleetwood Mac. Uh, I don't know why I did that in like Cat Williams voice. but Ah, <laughs> hey, bitch, we're going to Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> and then you run across the stage with not a punchline. Do it. Now I can't host the Oscars. <laughs> so, uh, so she goes to Fleetwood Mac. Ah, bitch. And uh, has this great time, and I'm like, um, I'm thinking, I'm like the hero. Like, I'll even pick you up if you guys have a couple too many drinks or something. So, so the next day, we just kind of had like this day where we didn't have to do anything. It was a lounging day, and I went and got red lobster for for lunch, <laughs> and we just watched Fleetwood Mac like documentaries and uh-huh. concert videos like all day. And that band, 
yeah. is bananas. <laughs> First of all, oh, yeah, everyone in that band <laughs> fucked everybody, everybody else yeah. and everybody else from every other band. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, there Stevie are. Nicks wrote a song, a famous song that was about one of her abortions with like someone from the Eagles. <laughs> Joe Walsh was the lover of her life and he Joe Walsh walked away from her because yeah. she was making him do too many drugs. Oh. <laughs> They're an absolutely the, the, bananas the band. Most dysfunctional band. Absolutely. I mean, 100%. Like, I love like go back and watch like a couple of their like live concerts. You see them yeah. not making the communi- communally not making fucking icons. Oh, and they hated there. each other at, at certain times worse oh, than man. I mean worse than Van Halen oh, or yeah, cuz she what's her name uh Stevie Nicks? Nicks yeah. left what, uh, what, uh, the the guitarist Lindsey Buckingham. Lindsey Buckingham. I know all of this stuff <laughs> now, yeah. <laughs> Left, left him like was fucking was fucking Fleetwood. Fleetwood, the Fleetwood, the drummer. Yeah, Mick Fleetwood, and and, and but also and, like Don Henley from the Eagles. Yeah, Buckingham was like what the, the f- bass player and the the other girl, Kristen McVie. They were married. They were married and ended up fucking the other members of the band. Anyway. But split up halfway, halfway yeah. to, So it's like you talk, talk about like we've all been through Insane. bad breakups or divorces. Now now imagine you being know, on stage with them all the time. People, how many bitches out there are complaining about having to get together with their family for Thanksgiving? Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Nothing on this. That's what that is. Fleetwood Mac is a oh. continual, uh, awkward Thanksgiving dinner in God. musical form. <laughs> Horrifying, man. Uh, but but fucking, what's some great music? But they allowed him to write like you know the chain and things like that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, the songs yeah, about it's, how fucking awful yeah. the relationship. Yeah, hundred percent. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, it's pretty fabulous, man. Yeah, I got uh, okay. So we were talking about uh, like the, the the precious snowflake situation earlier. Yeah, I don't know if you heard about this guy. Uh, his name is. Uh, Patel? No. You heard about that? Okay, no. so uh, comic uh, got hired to go do uh, Columbia University. Mm-hmm. They were doing. Uh, he's a Southwest. Uh, Bad idea. Southwest uh, Asian. Um, like it's. Wait, he's a, a Southwest, like a, like a Vietnamese or Cambodian I comedian. I don't know for sure. I'm getting it right. I think he's uh, he's like Indian. Yeah, like an Indian. Wow. Indian. <laughs> Nothing. I, your story is going to be good. I want to pause to give you a story. The credits do. How but, so? D- <laughs> It must mock you now, Thomas. He is uh, so in Chinese or Indian or something. He's, or, uh, he's one of the, <laughs> the Russians. Go ahead, go ahead. Anyway, so uh, he gets hired because they're doing a, like a, a festival of the uh, of the arts for people from you know the Southwest Asia mm-hmm. or Southeast Asia, Kenya. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's the whole point of it, and it was it's all about like uh, you know hearing these new and new voices coming up, and this guy goes yeah. and gets hired. Goes to Columbia University, starts doing starts doing his comedy set. They boot him off stage. Okay. For uh, the the joke he told was he's talking about a gay black friend of his, mm-hmm. and he knows it's not, and he knows it's not uh, uh, like being gay isn't a choice because who would look in a mirror and go, you know, being black isn't hard enough. I'm going to add this new wrinkle. Right. And make it right. Hard. Yeah. And they booted him. Yeah. I've read several different articles on this. And yeah. That's the that's the joke. Yeah, yeah. That apparently flipped the audience right. into being super offended by this whole thing. Yep. Uh, I have thoughts on this. Okay, well, yeah, well, well, I do too. Okay. Yeah, let's talk. All right. So one thing is, um, 
uh, first of all, it's not a great joke. It's it's kind of derivative. But, but that's, that's my first thing as a comic. I would, I'm, I'm yeah. I'm bothered by like if that were me, I'd be I'd be upset because other comics heard that I did that joke. It's almost like a it's version a of joke. something. Else. Yeah, right. I'm not into hacky as a concept. I think it's mostly overdone. But that's yep. definitely a hacky. Joke. It's a hacky joke. Okay, so that's I mean, but so what he did. There's it. no crime. It's yeah. it's a hacky joke. I I would probably wouldn't have busted a gut if I were there. Now the first stage. There are two stages of this. The first stage, I think, is this, is that people who are make a, a sort of a, a hobby or living out of being offended um, so often miss what someone's doing. What he's doing there, obviously, mm-hmm. is not making fun of gay people or black people, but right. making fun of racism and homophobia. Right. Right. So it's like that's the first thing that always gets missed when you're like a, like a, an offended Puritan about things. Right. right. The problem is this, <laughs> that. People have done such a bad job at responding to those people. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like this. If you've ever been in a, a, a deep fight with someone and they've done something you don't like, and rather than saying, hey, that pissed me off or that hurt my feelings, you do the same thing and go, you like that? Right? It never works to go like, ah, how do you like it? Because now you're just the one who's been an asshole, right? Right. The problem is that... that comedian and comedic types have been responding to this sort of like overly PC nonsense and misunderstanding by creating satire that is itself unclear. <laughs> so it's like this guy, okay, this is Gavin McGinnis uh-huh. is, is this guy. You've heard of this guy? Gavin, he's, he's the so-called leader of the proud boys, right? The proud boys is, no okay. So the proud boys is this, <laughs> he started this organization. Really? He, he had a radio show. Mm-hmm. Um, or like a podcast or something. And um, he started this as a joke on one of his interns. And it was like, just sort of basically kind of busting the intern's balls. Like, are you kidding me? You wiener, you you wimp or whatever. Kind of a masculine, you know, whatever. Again, not very funny. But he started this sort of thing and it was like, we're going to be the proud boys. And he, by the way, Gavin McGinnis, I should also say this, is one of the first like ultimate hipsters from Brooklyn. Like, uh, you know, suspenders and like weird mustache <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. Right. But also, you know, kind a little conservative, but not crazy conservative. So he starts this sort of like satirical group called the Proud Boys. The Proud Boys is based on a, um, a Broadway musical. It's sort of like a, aren't you proud to be a boy? And, and he took that and twisted it into like My boy, toxin, toxic masculinity, proud boys. Uh, and like, like you have to be beaten into the club. But the way you're beaten in is, is they start beating you up until you can name five cereal brands. I mean, it's so, just it's a, until you until you can trip the irony o meter is what I'm hearing. Yeah, it's totally not. Yeah, I mean, and, and he went went no, on and on and on. Yeah. The problem is this: two things happen. One is now there's a there's legitimately a proud boy racist organization made of eighty percent of people who didn't understand what he was doing, and it is his fault. He, he ends up in, he ends up on Stormfront. He does end up on Stormfront. <laughs> The Proud Boys are on Stormfront. That's the problem. Is that the Nazi comedy circuit? Is that it's his fault because he started this thing, uh, and it and and idiots like you know like what's wrong with being white type idiots believe that I've gotten started. There's, there are Proud Boy uh, chapters around the world, and he never stopped them because he thought it was interesting. To see like where the satire would take itself oh, naturally. So my sympathy drops right there. Total a hundred percent his the, fault. Oh my. I mean, he is That's de facto the leader of a, of a Nazi organization. <laughs> 
Or maybe he's not. Or maybe, oh, that's maybe the he thing. is a Nazi. Look, this works for a Peter Sellers movie, but it doesn't work in real life. Right. And it's like, that's uh, that's what I mean. It's sort uh, of like, that's that version of like, how do you like it? And it's like, uh, the, 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 not gonna, this is not going to work. So in a way, it's sort of like, yeah, of course. I think a lot of us are like, yeah, fuck Columbia University or its students who right. don't get it. But it's like, how are we, let's the, deal with this better. So that's my thinking. That's actually what, kind of why I brought it up. Because I'm thinking, like, we're getting nowhere rolling our eyes. Yep. at this shit yep. it's not it's not helping right. this is the coming fucking wave so how how do we how do we how do we work with it how do we how do we accept I say it? don't is it is it just like is it just the, the needful thing <laughs> like an entire generation just an entire generation of liberals needs to like be rendered in, incapable or something like no, that no I think I, and I don't think I, I wouldn't even say liberal because it's any it's it's any sort of um, oh, yeah, you're right. dogmatic yeah. ideologue right yeah um, I think what happens right is Maybe I'm I'm mistaken, but it just destroys itself. Because what, I mean, you'll see it, it factions so much. You've seen it already with like white women who are like, "Yeah, what? Wait, now I'm on hot seat. Hold on a second here." And it's like, "Wait, this isn't good." And it's like, "Yep, right. Enjoy the ride." Anyway, so um, wow. you want to talk a little, uh, a little "Kiss Me Deadly," my friend? Well, let's talk a little of uh, of our movie today, "Kiss Me Deadly." Okay, uh, Mickey Spillane novel turned into a movie. Uh, starring was it 1956, right? 1955's Kiss Me Deadly. Yeah. Pardon. Uh, starring Ralph Meeker. Now, fucking love Ralph Meeker. He's always been a character actor. This is like I think one of the few movies where I can that I can think of that I know of mm. where he actually got to be the star. He got the top billing in this bad boy. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a Mike Hammer. But he uh, was in he was in. Um... Paths of Glory and the Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen, yeah, absolutely. He was so, also, by the way, he he's the guy who replaced he replaced Brando. Well, he was initially he replaced Brando in um, in the stage production of um, uh, Streetcar, and really? and Tennessee Williams preferred him to Brando. I can see that because well because Meeker brings that same energy to this movie right here. Yep. This movie, I uh, it's it's just it's such an interesting thing. Uh, by the way, just as far as stars go, it's got some really great character actors going on. Jack Elam, oh, one of my favorites of all time. Jack Elam, wait, wait, wait. Jack Elam is that? Yes, yes. He's the he's the uh, he's the other thug. Yeah. Well, he later on, my favorite Jack Elam is in Cannonball Run. Yeah, absolutely. He plays the doctor, the proctologist who keeps sniffing his glove. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> He's in uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, where he plays one of the most like frightening looking Western people you've oh, ever yeah. seen. Just, yeah, you could smell him off the screen. <laughs> Just a great, like, great character actor. It was yeah, like a yeah. million things. Uh, this is also Cloris Leachman's first appearance on a screen. Very interesting. It takes a minute to recognize her. You recognize the voice before you recognize her. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then. Uh, and then it's just this. It's there's this. a guy who plays a doctor, and I mistook him for Sterling Holloway, but he's he's a character actor who's who uh, was in yes, a ton of everything. He was a uh, he was uh, in Star Trek. He was in like a bunch of other stuff. Anytime mm-hmm. they needed like an ultra nebbishy kind of chubby dude, yeah, they called this guy out of the closet. Yeah, hundred like, percent. They took they took they took him out of the ice and, and would put him. In, I can't remember his name. He's yeah. such a great actor. Yeah, and yeah. then a couple of other people, like the guy from. Uh, one of the actors that I recognize from Tora Tora Tora, mm. just like just a ton of these yeah. character actors in here. But no one you some know. Of them get, no, some, Meeker, but but Meeker is pretty goddamn obscure, even. So. Yeah, no one knows Meeker. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, but yeah, but but definitely the person uh, you know dragging the most ass across the yeah. screen, right? Anyways, so it's this um, it's something about this movie that's like kind of embarrassing and kind of lovable. This is what I mean when I talk about a movie that's like. 
Well, I, I don't know that it's a bad movie, but I can no. see people thinking it is. No, and, but it's still enjoyable as shit. Like, there's something fabulous about this. There's, there's, uh, there's, there's sexism in here so raw that it actually is almost fair and goes both ways. Almost, not quite. Yeah, like it's definitely, it's definitely okay. So it's Mike Hammer. Uh, to go through the plot, right? Mike Hammer's driving down a road, and some crazy dame runs out in the middle of the road yeah. and flags him down. Right. So. It uh, happens. I mean, it has. Uh, first of all, I want to say this about about Mike Hammer more than any of the noir. I really understood watching it why I love the Hardy Boys when I was a kid because because noir, but especially a particular type of noir, has a lot of like. Um, coincidences that are just bizarre yeah i mean not just things happening but like you do something and you're not sure why you did it until like you know 10 pages later and that's it's a clue that you have in your hand right 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 so and and in this case she just happens to run into the car yeah run in front of the car of a private detective uh who's kind of more mercenary than is the norm for the the hard-boiled detective yeah, he's a little. He's on the meanish side, driving yeah, a jaguar. He's kind of a tool. Yeah. Uh, in fact, no, he's pretty much a. He's pretty much an asshole. So, yeah. But um, <coughs> so she's uh, she runs in front of his car. He stops. He helps her because he's a gentleman and mm-hmm. uh, sort of ish. And he's a, and she's a lady, and that's what that's what dudes do in cars. So and then he drives her into the city, and ultimately he gets knocked over. Or he's driving her into the city. He gets knocked over the head, and she gets. Uh, she killed. gets taken and killed, tortured to death, yeah. uh, and somehow he, and he, him not. But so. it's it's really important because it, it's the sort of like suspension of disbelief, or maybe it's the hammer claw method of noir writing. But like <laughs> between her, him picking her up and and them getting stopped and him knocked out and her tortured to death, um, she says like weird, like gives him clueish language. Right. I mean, she doesn't. That's 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 what's sort of bizarre about noir. Remember me. Like, yeah. She the, the noir will just sort of like, well, just say what's going on. No, no mm. key. Remember the letter Q or something. You know. It's also this this but but in a sense that helps this movie stay together more than your average detective. Not uh, like your average detective movie. Why? What do you mean? Well, it's just like it. It. It kind of it. It. It sort of tumbles forward like on its own plot devices. You know, Mike Hammer isn't so much a really. He's not really a good detective. Mm-hmm. At no point does he come across. He, at one point, he makes one deduction in this entire movie, and the rest of the time, yeah. like all the events sort of tumble forward, and that they're that they're happening mostly like the, the, the energy of them is happening mostly off screen. Translates itself onto the screen. It's kind of a fun. It's kind of a fun watch just from that that standpoint. Wait, say it again. So like, this is, this guy is basically doesn't know what the fuck is going on, but it keeps tumbling. It, he keeps getting pushed forward by the events and the assumption that he does know what's going on. But that's the point of noir. I feel so often it's like I. I mean, the Big Sleep's a classic example, but even like I would say Maltese the Maltese Falcon. Falcon. Yeah, Falcon's a perfect example of it. But, uh, but no, no, but you don't know what I'm saying. What I'm saying is nobody knows what the fuck's going on. Uh-huh. It's not that he doesn't know. It's sort of like it. It's not known. Well, and I don't know what, what happened this, in this movie. That's what makes this movie so great. It's yeah. like a jumbly mess of of yeah. what of how the weird coincidences making things happen. It's really a trip. No, but what makes this movie different from noir, which already has that sort of stuff, like its stylization over content, right? Yeah. Is that this movie also bends the um, genre so yeah. more than any other because it is noir, right. but not fully. It's it, a couple it other like, things it too. Like, it feels like a republic. It's like a Republican made noir. Or what do you like mean, that. Republican? Made- well, it's just there's a, there's a there's a, something about the there's a conservatism going on in here that's very fun, sort of fundamental to the way everyone in this movie behaves that, that's going on. I mean, it's ultimately it's a it's a it's a 
it's a Cold War uh, horror tale. You know. Uh, okay, well, I, I guess we should go back to the plot because I also have questions about that. There are lots of things that I think this film is, but I understood nothing about the commentary about it being McCarthy about McCarthyism at all. Oh, really? Okay. I did totally. I could not figure my way into that. So, so go back over. So, so, so she's missing. Oh no, I'm sorry. She's killed. Yeah. She's given him this clue. Right. Right. And so then he decides to go back to his place where he has a sort of girlfriend who's also like his girl Friday. Yeah. She's like, she's like all those like private detective secretaries who's just kind of blowing them anyways. Right. And it's extraordinarily sort of like sexual. I mean, this movie is very, very right on the edge of just talking about fucking all the time. And then he says to that woman, right? You know, like from from Marty, like you're talking about the Mike Hammer book he just read. Right. One of the guys. So yeah, it's all very sexual. He's 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 incredibly attractive to women. And he has very little, he doesn't really care about women. He's very, uh, very sort of dismissive of them. Uh, I also like to point out he's a private detective living in a Jetsons apartment. All right. Well, he's got the, the early um, answering machine that's like a reel to reel on the wall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And everything's like super sleek and very gooey. But, yep. um, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's, fuck, I don't know. I mean, it's like almost like the rest of the plot doesn't matter a hell of a lot. But the, basically, it turns out they're after like this, this, um, the satchel, the suitcase, this briefcase sort of uh-huh. thing, with a box inside of it. That's got uh, the MacGuffin. It's got the MacGuffin. It's got the. It's, well, it's, it's not fully where, a it's MacGuffin. It's also where Tarantino gets it. Get, it's definitely where Tarantino got the. Get, Tarantino credits this movie with giving him the. Glowing, Wait, are you sure he does? Because, the briefcase. Are you sure he does? Or are you just assuming he does? What about Repo Man, which did it long before Tarantino did? I would imagine Repo Man was probably doing much the same thing. Oh. In that sense, but oh. but my understanding is that yeah, he's acknowledged that that's sort of where he got the idea was from this movie. It's not a full MacGuffin though, because a MacGuffin you never know what the the thing is, and right. this one you actually get. Well, you don't know exactly, but it's something that's it, I, I don't know. It's, exactly, it's like nuclear fuel or something like that. It's yeah. something so nuclear and toxic that merely looking upon it like sets you and everything around you on fire. Yeah. Okay. So what I, I okay so. Yeah. So the, I mean that's the, and and at some point his secretary slash girlfriend is kidnapped so that's part of like the motivation for him he he def, he he desperately wants to figure out wh- why the woman who he picked up on the road at the beginning of the movie was killed right and that's sort of driving the movie along the way his secretary is is kidnapped and so that sort of more motivates him to stay with it right um, there's also maybe a sense you know it's it's sort of like any good noir like like Sam Spade. Um, it's sort of like, I don't care about, I'm cynical. I don't care about humanity. Oh, look, I found a little pocket inside myself that does care about humanity right. or Just America barely. or right. something. Yeah. Um, well, now where, now where it specifically becomes sort of McCarthyistic is that again, well, this is like, you know, this is like at the time of the Rosenbergs, like shortly after this uh, was two years after was, yeah, was made very shortly after the Rosenbergs. Oh, yeah, uh, and, and so, 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 so like the Rosenbergs, selling, by the way, were the, were the man and wife who were convicted of selling um, spies to the Russians and were executed. nuclear secrets to the Russians. Correct. Yeah. Now that's it. So that so this movie is definitely playing on American sort of paranoia about people stealing nuclear secrets. That's that's, that's it. That's the McCarthy thing. Is yeah. that the the box at the end has some sort of possible nuclear? That's it. I think it is. It's I not even clear. It. I don't know. It's, it's not, not even clear. This is not a brilliantly. Uh, this is not a brilliant movie. Is, no, but that's not the problem. I don't think the movie is is at fault for that. I don't. Uh, I don't think that's the problem at all. I think the movie is kind of brilliant. Yeah. I actually don't. I don't think it's. Um. I don't think it's brilliant. Brilliantly bad. Yeah. Or brilliantly out of date. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's brilliant in a hipster way. I think it's straightforward. Like a great, great movie. Yeah. I think it's great as a noir movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's stylized beyond any noir movie I've yeah, ever seen. Absolutely. It takes interesting sort of breaks. 
um, where where it's flawed, um, it's flawed in the ways you talk about. I mean, there's flawed. it's flawed in some really fucking wonderful ways, man. But it, but it's also one of my favorite scenes in the whole world. All right, go ahead. There's a scene where uh, where Jack Elam and his thug partner are going to beat the hell out of Mike Hammer yeah. in this cabana. And you don't even see it, but like Mike Hammer pulls some kind of slick fucking move on oh, the other judo guy move or something. that's so badass that Jack Elam, like an like supposedly a thug, yeah. just like ah, and like runs out of the room in terror, it's like backs and, off in the situation. It won't go anywhere near him. But it's just like it's one of one of my favorite sort of like just like spit take reactions yeah. to something you 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 don't even get to see. It's fucking it's, it's just it's very it's a very flawed. But that's not moment, a flaw. A How moment. is that a flaw? I don't. Because it just it, it's shot and it's, it's the, here's the pro- shot weird is what it is. It's it's, it's like it, it's but it's funny. It's a funny that's the pro- and that's fun the little bit. That that's where have. you and I always sort of mismatch. When I say flaw, you hear it as something good. I'm when I say flaw, I actually mean something bad. Like when I say there are a couple of flaws, I mean like um, the sexism is is a flaw in that like it just sort of takes you out of the moment. When a, when, a, when a woman just sort of walks up to my camera and says, what are you doing? And then can I lay my lips on you? And he says, sure, baby. Kisses her and then says, see you later. And then walks on. It's just so ridiculous yeah. that it's it's a flaw. Or the fucking Italian mechanic <laughs> in this movie. Well, no, he was so, here's the, he's so Italian, he was actually Mexican. Oh, that's right. Well, whatever he was, I don't even <laughs> know. Because there was another Italian later on in yeah. the show. That, Sorry. That he, Mike Hammer is trying to get information out of him, and he starts breaking his opera albums. To but it's like, yeah. It's like, oh, you got a car, mister. How are we? How are we? And it's like, it's so, it's so ridiculous, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, those are the things that are like, you know, the racism and sexism. Just didn't travel. That, I mean, artistically, yeah, that's the problem artistically with racism and sexism is they're not going to, they're going to take you out of a movie at some point right. if you're an audience member somewhere down the line in history, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by flaws. I mean, there are those sort of flaws that take us out, but otherwise the movie is, is put together in such an engaging way yeah. and so stylistically put together um, that it's almost a problem, right? Yeah, it, in it a almost way. feels a little too shiny. Well, so I read this article. There's this controversial article in, in 1988 about this about this movie by Robert Lee, and it's called um, "Looking for the Great Watson: Kiss, Kiss Me Deadly" in film noir. All right. And he wants to talk about this. Let me just sort of. Um, he talks about. In, he says in noir story is less important than iconography. So he talks about. There's a scene that really kind of got me when I when I first watched this movie, and it's like this guy is following Mike Hammer. And Mike Hammer, no, he does. It's a classic sort of noir thing where he looks in a window like this guy's following me, and so he turns around, yeah. beats him up, takes his knife, um, pops. It's like a switchblade, pops it open. The guy sort of attacks him again. He beats him senseless again, and then just picks him up and throws him down like some stairs going down a hill in the city, and just sort of looks with a small smile on his face, and then just walks away. And the scene has zero importance to the film at all. Right. It just doesn't even relate to anything that's happened before or anything that happens after. And so here's a problem. So this guy in 1980, he writes this article, and he's like, look, clearly this movie is not about McCarthyism. It's homoeroticism that this film's about, right? Uh, and a, he talks I about, like, like take. That's an interesting, he talks you about, could go this route. Okay, let's hear that. Well, that's, okay, that's interesting, right? But then this guy, uh, Lawrence Miller, responds to that particular article, <laughs> and he's like, here's the problem, in a way. Noir sort of sets us up for this problem. You know, literary criticism is this idea that you can take any story and put a lens over it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, I'm going to read this um, as a Marxist read, no, or I'm going to read this as like a, a feminist read. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, 
there's no problem with doing that if what you're doing is exercising your mind, right? For looking sure. at, uh, at possibilities or even like what possibilities look like when you look at a text on a piece of paper or a film or something. The gay but, subtext of taxi driver. The problem is, and what upsets people, and I get it, is when people use this and then go, I found something. You found uh, nothing. You've exercised <laughs> your mind. That's all you've done, and that's great. The problem is with noir is because it's the, it's like, fuck, like meaning uh-huh. or substance it's all style that was when when meeker was making it you could be safe with that but when literary critics like this the original guy robert lee comes along mm-hmm. and says i see a homosexual subtext subtext here it's kind of like not his fault that he's being ridiculous right, right. because you you got a, pro- a product here that's meaningless to begin with well and also because of context it's changed like a man like he's ralph meeker is like pretty in this thing yeah. and he dresses it fucking immaculately he basically and in our day and age he's what you call a metrosexual yeah so yeah no so okay i can see that that's interesting it just doesn't track necessarily i thought see now I, th- I think it's funny because you you talk about that scene with the guy following yeah. him like horribly uh the <laughs> yeah. part that, what, the, what i most enjoyed about it was that the guy was following him like horribly and obviously yeah. and mike hammer was like basically stopping every 10 feet to make sure that he was still following him. oh yeah yeah that's oh yeah, <laughs> yeah right like, it right was silly it was like it was like that's the worst Shadowing Am I and watching detecting a shadow. Kiss I've me ever deadly seen. or cruising. I, I wasn't sure. <laughs> no, I mean I get the point, but it's sort of like that's a weakness, not of. Uh, Here's my knife. <laughs> bury it it's me. really no one's fault that it's a weakness. It's just that that that's what happens with a film like this. But right. I, but putting that aside, I mean it just happens to films, I guess. I think it's a it's a it's an incredible film, and and also like I, I noted this even before I read that article that was sort of like oh my god where is this going so homoerotic subtext and then someone's <laughs> mad at him for saying homoerotic right, right, right. so one of the things I noticed is that this film had um because it sort of lacked content that it was you know very coherent um i was i was able to pay attention to like the amazing sort of like angles and 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 cinematography of this movie which is is very it's crazy this movie has crazy sort of angles and it's sort of like what happens is because the characters are muted, if you will, mm-hmm. it allows this other thing to, to take place. So, so, so. Um, yeah, I got to be honest. Like one of my favorite, one of my one of my favorite emotions uh, that I enjoy when watching this movie is sheer jealousy that this guy's got such a fucking boss house, like apartment. Living in. Well, there's that, right? But I'm, it's I, so pretty. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's like on, on the level of like set design for sure, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But also, like you know, there are two, ty- you know, these two. I mean, in film, there are are there are two types. There's there's a of of camera work, for instance. Right. There's a like, let's shoot a scene with actors. And then there's things like given to like second directors and stuff. So it's like, let's shoot all these exterior scenes or like a car chase or like, yeah, or B-rolls or whatever it is. Right. So, so, so the, the director Aldrich had this, um, this cameraman, um, Ernie Laszlo, um, who, who apparently was like meticulous and was not known for working very fast. Right. He was really good, but when we're fast and, and Aldrich had 22 days to shoot this movie, (laughs) he's like, fuck, what do I do? So it's like, what he did was. He gave Aldrich, uh, um, sorry, Laszlo, the, the cameraman, this this opportunity to be a perfectionist with scenes in which actors were exchanging dialogue, uh-huh. 
And then he gave everyone else an opportunity to just go crazy with right. any sort of thing that was an exterior. So what you have is like this film that's oh, oddly that's paced. because it is. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's like you, if you're in a room, it's like it's almost like a play. They're doing these sort of long mm-hmm. takes. Everyone's in frame. They're, you know, doing like the – and then all of a sudden it'll go outside and it's like the camera's sort of like, like a 15-degree angle and and all, and all it's got this weird sort of cinematography. Borderline shaky cam. Yeah, I mean it's almost like, like pre – like, you know, like Kenneth anger like the like yeah. the guy who wrote Hollywood Bam Blah, like the late 60s experimental sort of yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, films or, or what's the guy who did die uh, pussycat faster faster die die, die. Um, oh shit shit fast yeah yeah, yeah. I forget I his name know. but but a lot of those guys from the 60s I think kind of owe a guy like Aldrich who weirdly went on to do to direct the Dirty Dozen and the longest yard I mean talk about the, the longest yard talk about a movie yard. Wow. with Burt Re- uh, the yeah, Burt Reynolds I, yeah, version no, right yeah yeah of course the, yeah I mean it's an interesting the good version <laughs> 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 the good version of a not great movie it's it's not it's so interesting that like I mean I almost think it's like a reaction to this because he was he he, he got um uh, Aldridge got $35,000 for doing this movie and two others <laughs> right, he got thirty five. He, he got the car, the price of a Chrysler the Baron today. Mm-hmm. He made three movies, right? So it's not surprising that he moved on to do. I mean, The Dirty Dozen I like is a great movie, but yeah. that and then by the time you get to The Longest Yard and other movies, he's clearly just sort of like Michael Caine, yeah, right? Right? <laughs> right, because it's like I I can see how depressing it would be for for people to sort of react to Kiss Me Deadly as oh, it's like a B. Mickey Spillane movie because yeah. he did something with Mickey Spillane. It was kind of magic. I checked out other things like um, um, the, his first book was Eye of the Jury, right? Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, I mean, he was. Uh, um, um, I tried reading him once. He's he'll... Mickey Spillane. He's so like in writing, he's way more sexist than he is in movie. Well, he's a he's w- gruesome. He's a fucking bizarre guy because of his many jobs. Before he was a, um, a writer, he worked as a trampoline artist in the circus. Uh-huh. He was until his death a Jehovah's Witness. Shut up! A fucking Shut serious fuck Jehovah's Witness. Really? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, wasn't he in? Uh, but but I also remember him from like those uh, Miller Lite commercials, like in the late in the eighties or something. Like I that. don't know. Maybe I mean wow. you know the Mormons famously own. Um, yeah. stock in Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola for yeah. a long time. So wow. um, he was a Jehovah's Witness <laughs> for his whole life. And then... <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah, and Sorry. then he uh, he was an early uh, writer before he did his detective novels for um, uh, Captain Marvel, Superman, and Batman. And in fact, Mickey Splane was... I mean, uh, Mike Hammer was supposed to be um, a comic book originally, which makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes sense, yeah. Like Dick Tracy-ish or something. So, I mean, if you try to watch... Like I, the jury, or what I did the other day was I watched um, an episode or two of Stacey Keach's series. I want to see this because I want to see Stacey Keach's interpretation via Ralph Meeker. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to give you my Im- impression of it. Sure. I remember liking it as a kid. I mean, I remember it, the, it, the show got canceled because Stacey Keach got busted with Coke in England. Yeah, he yeah, he yeah, did yeah. 10 months in a, in a British right. prison, right? I remember that, yeah. Um, but. Um, it's like the eighties fight. This took one last stab at a Quinn Martin production. <laughs> so it's like, it's got this sort of like great. And it's, it's got, um, Stacey Keach narrating Mike camera over every episode oh. while like that type of music is continually going in the background. It's almost got like a, a porn, like music <laughs> while acting is going on. And he'll, he'll do like, um, 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 I was out for some music on the town, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of music today was just noise, but I like music. 
but first I had to take care of some noise. And he like someone's like some idiot is down the street and it's like, you know, he gets trapped by a guy who's beating him up, but his friends happen to be, um, his detective friends happen to be um, looking into another apartment on a cheating husband and uh-huh. they see Mike Hammer getting beaten down in the street like, ah, oh, we better go help Mike. It's got that Hardy Boys like, again, convenience is everything. And of course, these episodes had the great uh, Mickey Dolan from The Monkees and Miss Joan London guest starring. So it had that oh, Quinn God. Martin with guest stars, Peter <laughs> Falk, right? So it's like, yeah, it's wow, totally, totally. But, but my point in bringing all that up is like if you watch I, the Jury or you watch Stacey Keach's, those are absolutely guilty pleasure Mike Hammer whereas Kiss Me Deadly is a fucking really good film I yeah. think yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's really really interesting oh, okay okay good now I now but I want to see okay so I gotta I'm gonna go do that I want to go watch some of the Stacey Keish's because I've I'd like to see I don't think Stacey Keish could pull off like the raw disdain that Ralph Meeker was able to work with, Dad. I think you'd be surprised. Really? Okay. Yeah, because we're used to, we, we, we like The Heart is a Lonely Hunter and Fat City where he's, you know, a loser, but like a sympathetic yeah, character, yeah, yeah. right? And it's yeah. like, no, he plays um, shallow well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you have a cleft pal- palate your whole life, you learn how to be bitter. Wow. By the way, did you notice that another one um, person who was in it that we didn't talk about was Struther Martin? Yes, baby Strother Martin. Baby beardless like, Strother almost, Martin. Un, almost unrecognizable <laughs> Strother Martin. Hey, help me get my help me get the boots Oh yeah, let me get the gold out of his my, teeth. My tooth wrench and my tooth wrench. Yeah, I would definitely, um, uh, I would definitely watch more of. Uh, but that, that's why I didn't want to do another Mike Hammer movie. They never did anything that good. I think we should have anyway because I think it's just just to compare. Uh, maybe I, don't I mean I mean it's whatever we did what we did, but but um, yeah, I give it a, I give it a thumbs up, and I think it's one of those ones. You should either watch the rest of the Mike Hammer and then watch this, or watch this and the rest of the Mike Hammer because the distinction is is um, pretty goddamn amazing. Okay, excellent. Yeah, right. total recommend on this movie. I love it. All right, all right, Tommy. You have anything you'd like to plug, my friend? Um, yeah, like uh, come check me out at tomsmithcomedy.com. Uh, join us on Patreon while you're at it. Yeah, I mean, if you go to um, uh, finleysonfilm.com, for, is it forward or backslash Patreon? P A T P A T R E O N. I mean, we should tell people how to get there so they don't make a, a big effort out of it. But if, if you contribute at the $5 or more per level, we have quite a level bit of per month, for you. we have a ton of content for you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, give us a little email. At film at gmail.com. Do I think me, I'm saying everything. Do, do us the extra favor. If you yeah. get a chance, go into iTunes, write a review, give us a rating. Uh, let us know you love us. <laughs> okay. All right. See you, folks. Yeah.